Good morning and greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Glad to be with you again. I invite you to Psalm 127 this morning for the message. As I was considering what to speak on, it uh, came to mind that you have a fair number of middle-aged and uh, younger families in the congregation here. And uh, it's a very busy time of life. There's a lot of responsibility that, that goes with that. And so I hope this message can be a, an encouragement to you in the responsibilities that God has given you in relation to your children. I'm uh, approaching the other end of it. I'm not there yet. I'm thankful I'm not. The nest is emptying too fast the way it is. But... Um, you know, you don't have to be a parent for very long before you look back and you recognize, you know, I could have done better in that, or I could have handled this situation better. And when you get to the stage in life that I'm in, you look back and you wish that somehow we could take the things we know now and do it all over. Um, so I'm not standing before you as one that has a perfect Record in relation to the responsibilities of a parent. But we thank God for His grace in our lives and the lives of our children. And uh, one of my frequent prayers, I'll just inject this now, one of my frequent prayers for our children is that God would bring grace into their lives for those things that I have missed or that we as parents have missed or not been strong enough in. Um, whether wittingly or unwittingly, whether we realize it or not, uh, whether we know what we missed or not, that God would bring grace into their lives for that. And I believe God has been answering that prayer, and so we, we thank him for that. The title of the message this morning is A Lesson in Archery. We'd like to focus primarily on verse 4 from this psalm, but I'd like to read the entire psalm first of all, and make just brief comments on some of the other verses. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. It begins by setting a challenge before us. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. In other words, the only way the Lord builds the house is if the house is being built for him. And that speaks of our focus in our responsibilities as parents. What motivates our actions in relation to these responsibilities? Take discipline, for example. You know, our, our children misbehave at times. What motivates our response to those misbehaviors? Are we reacting because they embarrass us or they inconvenience us? Or are we responding to the fact that they need guidance. They need to make changes in their approach to life, and therefore we direct them in that way to please the Lord. And so we need to make sure that as we are taking on these responsibilities that we are doing it for God's glory. 
But it also says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It doesn't matter how much we know about parenting. It doesn't, know, it doesn't matter how many books we've read, all the examples that we see, and so on. We need God's help. And it's easy to lose sight of a simple thing in the midst of intense child training. I remember particularly when our children were, were young that at times it was easy to lose sight of the fact that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. It's not a battle of wills between parent and child. Well, it takes on that form at times, obviously. But ultimately, this is not a battle of my will versus my child's will. This is a battle on a spiritual level in which either God will have his way in the heart of the child or the devil will have his way. And therefore, we need God's help. Satan is the adversary, and it's that old nature and Satan working through it that brings those uh, bad behaviors into children's lives. And so we need God's help. And only he can build the lives in the way that they need to go. Sometimes we're a little bit frustrated as parents that the Bible doesn't spell out more specific approaches to different situations that come up. You know, we're there scratching our heads. What's the best way to handle this child in this particular circumstance? And if only the Bible had a, you know, another book just filled with, in this situation, do this, and in this situation, do this, uh, it would seem so nice. But I believe there are several reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into all of, all of those reasons, but for one thing, each child is different, and what works for one child may not work for another. And so we need to exercise godly wisdom in relation to those things. And I have seen, seen various parents use varying methods to a greater or lesser extent in the matter of child training, and come up with the same godly results. And I believe the ultimate thing that we need to focus on here is, is the Lord building the house? Are we building the house for him? Varying methods with God's help, God's blessing, um, can be equally effective. And I'm not saying that to say that uh, we can disregard uh, the use of the rod as spelled out in Proverbs and be effective. But... You know, there are all kinds of other things that come into play beyond the use of the rod, for example, that uh, may vary from one household to another. Verse 2 gives us some reassurance. Well, it could be taken either way. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. But the phrase that caught my attention, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. We can find rest in our responsibilities when we are letting the Lord build the house. When we are building with God, we can rest in him. There are stressful times. There are times when we come to our wits end to know what to do with a child. I remember um, years ago was, was when we still lived here. I won't mention which of our children it was, but one of our children was very strong-willed and just one day was just trying my wife out over and over. And she finally called me at work in tears saying, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, there are those stressful times. But ultimately, we can come back to resting in the Lord. Verse 3 mentions 
that children are in heritage of the Lord, and I believe we need to view them that way in order to be effective. Children must know that they are loved and valued. You know, our culture as a whole has an anti-child mentality, and I believe that children will pick up on that if that's the way we are minded. Rather, we need to recognize they are a blessing from the Lord. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. It says in verse 5, referring to them as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And so that is something that uh, we need to recognize. There's there's a lot that could be said on that, but uh, we're going to move on into verse 4. It says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. We have an opportunity as parents to set the course for our children just as an archer has an opportunity to send an arrow to its mark. I did a little bit of bow hunting when I was younger. I never became a really good shot, but I learned enough to know what it takes to to be a good shot without ever quite practicing enough to get there myself. Um, There are a lot of things that are involved in that. And a good archer can do amazing things. I've heard of, of very skilled archers actually shooting arrows at a target and they'll put a, uh, an arrow in the bullseye. The next arrow will split the previous arrow, such is their accuracy. Now that's obviously something that not very many are able to attain. But we have an opportunity to set the course. We have the opportunity to, to give a direction. And we also need to, I'm I'm just going to deviate slightly from the main thrust of the message to say this. I once was in a situation where I heard someone use this verse as an excuse, saying, well, the Bible says as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. And my parents taught me this way or, you know, developed, let this habit go in me. And that's the way I am. I can't change it. Now, the scriptures are never meant to be an excuse. The grace of God is sufficient for whatever deficiencies that our background may have. But this also points out the potential that we as parents have. And we have the potential for far-reaching effects, so to speak. Just as you can launch an arrow and it can go places that you can't get to anywhere nearly that fast and have effects that you can't have, so we have the opportunity as parents to send our children on a course where they can go places, they can do things, they can accomplish things for the kingdom that we might not be able to ourselves. And that ought to be our our goal. Historically, generations tend to lose ground, but I believe by God's grace we can launch our children toward points beyond. And that's something we ought to be striving for. And I believe that honesty about where we are ourselves and setting high high spiritual goals for our homes are essential to accomplishing accomplishing that. All right, we'd like to get now to more, more to the practical aspects of this lesson in archery. And I'm going to draw as an analogy from what happens in archery. First of all, how far and how true arrows fly is determined in the care and their making. If you've ever shot a bow with a crooked arrow, you know, where the shaft is crooked, you know the results aren't uh, all that desirable unless you just wanted to see what it would do. Uh, You you will not hit the target 
with a crooked shaft. And so the first thing we need to do is make a straight shaft. If our children are as arrows, we need to make a straight shaft. They come to us with the crooks and bends of the sin nature. And our goal is to train them up in the way of the Lord and that they will eventually yield their lives to the Lord and walk a straight path with him and fly a true course. And so to make a straight shaft, we need to discipline that which is wrong and teach and encourage that which is right. It's a twofold process. Don't get so lost in disciplining what is wrong, especially when children are young, that you forget about teaching what is right. We have to take them from something to something in order to accomplish what God wants us to. Proverbs 22, verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 29, verse 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. There are ways that we can straighten the shafts that are bent by the sin nature. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about using the rod, but don't neglect that. That is a scriptural method. It's something that is increasingly frowned on by society. And yet there is nothing as effective, I believe, for any child as that, if there is a significant transgression or an ongoing problem. Um, The rod has a way of teaching that sin has consequences. It has a way of freeing the conscience of the child that other punishments don't, and and so on. And I don't understand all the the ways that that works, but it, it is very effective. It brings rest to the child's heart as well as to the home. In creating a straight shaft, we need to teach our children obedience. And I'll just put it this way. If it is common for you to give a command or give direction, if it's common for you to say something more than once, then you haven't taught your children obedience yet. And I know sometimes it's a process to get to that point, uh, especially especially when they're, when they're young and they're trying us out. Uh, but I believe we ought to get, get to the point with our children where we can say something once and they're going to respond. When children know that they can play this thing out for a while, and once mom or dad's voice reaches a certain level of volume or a, there's a certain tone that comes in, then I'd better obey. They haven't really learned full obedience yet and so we need to strive for that Proverbs 19 verse 18 a few more verses to reinforce this chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying and Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that brings us to the transition then of teaching that which is right and there are many things that we ought to be teaching them in order to make a straight shaft many virtues kindness discipline responsibility compassion modesty courtesy honesty friendship self-discipline and the list could go on Those are right things to teach them, and these are done day by day in the practical aspects of life. We need to teach them Bible doctrines according to their understanding. 
about salvation, about God, about the church, about ordinances, worship, prayer, non-resistance, and so forth. There simply is not enough time in Sunday school and and church services to impart all the things that our children need to know about these things. And so a strong family devotional life is, is very vital in teaching them these things. Teach in family devotions as well as informally. And I believe it's important that we help our children learn to make practical applications of scriptures to their lives. And that can, uh, that can take on a lot of forms. It can be the youngster that comes home from school and says, you know, so-and-so uh, did this to me. That's an opportunity to say, all right, what do you think Jesus would have you do with this? What did Jesus teach? And then go from there, help them develop a plan of action. Or it might be uh, your teenage son who's uh, itching for his first car. And he's looking at different different cars and, and so on. And he comes and says, Dad, do you think this car would be uh, acceptable? And then you say, well, what what scriptural principles apply to this kind of thing? If we can teach our children to make the scriptures practical to those daily things of life, it will make a tremendous difference in helping them to set a straight course and to have the straight shaft that they need. All right, we need more than a straight shaft. We need the proper fletching. You know, why does an arrow have to have those feathers, we call them sometimes, on it? What? Why does it have, have to have that on? That increases air resistance, doesn't it? Doesn't that slow the arrow down? But again, if you've ever tried to shoot an arrow that was missing some or all of its fletching, you know that the arrow isn't going to arrive where you intended. It will go off on another course. And I believe that uh, can be likened to using <clears throat> proper restraints and guidelines to keep our children, the arrows, on course and to channel energy in the right directions. That speaks of having some rules. In uh, Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And the, the phrase there, left to himself, simply means let loose. And you, you see the results of that in society around us. Children who basically have no parenting and all the problems that go with that a child left to himself a child let loose bringeth his mother to shame and so consistent enforcement of godly standards in the home is essential to keeping the arrows on course apply that fletching and i believe that's something that we there are different areas that we can work on Um, in mennonite culture there are obviously exceptions but um, I've noticed that we tend to be a little careless sometimes in some of the things that are our virtues, some, some of the things that ought to be uh, enforced. And I've noticed that many from either even non-Christians um, and uh, others from different backgrounds and so on often have higher standards than we tend to have in our homes. And I'm, I don't want to stereotype here. Maybe you're doing very well on this. But uh, just for just a simple example for you to understand my point, um, some years ago I was working um, at a job site installing cabinets, and uh, this very worldly, very wealthy young couple lived there. They had two two little boys, 
And uh, the boys were playing within earshot of me. And I heard one of them teasing the other. He's, nah, 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 nah. And their mom overheard, and she was instantly on their case. She said, we don't talk like that. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that far too often I would tend to just kind of let slide. Well, it's children. I I think we can go to extremes, but at the same time, that was a challenge to me in, uh, in, in my life as well. Behavior and speech must be in harmony with God's standards. And so we need to watch the speech in our households. Is it loud and angry or is it self-controlled? Is it slangy and questionable or is it edifying? Is honesty compromised or is our yay, yay and our nay, nay? I don't, I don't believe we can expect to get anywhere with these things if we are careless ourselves. <clears throat> and so in order to make a straight shaft and apply the proper fletching, we need to be a straight shaft and have the proper fletching applied to us as well. But going on in this, on the, in this aspect of having rules for our children, parents should rule their house. Um, in fact, that's one of the qualifications for church leadership, that one rules his house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. But today, too many children and young people rule their own house, having their parents in subjection with all intimidation. And that's backwards from what it should be. We need to recognize that children and young people don't have the maturity to make all the decisions that could be made. And so we need to put decisions in front of them that they're prepared to make and not put decisions in front of them that they're not prepared to make. Take, for example, the little fellow in the high chair. Uh, Say he really likes cookies. He doesn't have the maturity to understand that it's in his own best interest to eat his peas and not just have cookies for dinner. So when it's time to have some peas, don't ask him if he wants peas. He's not mature enough to make that decision. All you do is set yourself up for conflict if you ask children or young people to make decisions that they're not prepared to make. Because they're not going to choose well and then you're going to have to, oh, okay, I need to bring them back to, to uh, square one here. So uh, avoid, um, avoid that. Some other examples. Our children like to read. We have a bunch of bookworms in our house. And they like to read in bed on occasion. But uh, we've discovered that even some of the older ones don't always have the maturity to know when it's time to turn off the light and go to sleep. And so oftentimes we'll tell them, okay, such and such a time you need to turn off the light and go to sleep. Um, and maybe that's because their dad sometimes uh, doesn't know when to turn off the light and go to sleep either. But um, we, you know, we need to give guidance where there isn't enough maturity. <clears throat> and so it takes guidance in various activities. Various rules need to be put in place. And so we are responsible for, for that. We also need to put safeguards in place. And I believe this applies somewhat to fletching as well because it, it in a sense, guards the arrow from flying off course from where it was launched. Protect your children from evil influences. Uh, Psalm 128 likens the children to olive plants round about thy table. And young plants don't do well if they're just put out in the, in the harsh environment, the early spring. They need a protected environment in order to begin to grow and to thrive and to become hardy young plants. 
And then, once that stage is passed, then they're ready to be out there and face the elements. And so it is with our children as well. They need protection. They need a place where they can grow. They need protection from evil influences. One of the things my parents did that I very much appreciated was screening our reading material as we grew up. That, that was very helpful, and it's something that we've done as well with our children. We can protect them from a lot of things um, in various ways. All right, moving on to the next point in the lesson in archery. How far and how true arrows fly is contingent on the strength of the archer and the accuracy and steadiness of his aim. And I believe the two go hand in hand. Um, If you've ever tried to pull a bow back that was set to a pretty high poundage and needed to hold it, especially the older recurve bows that weren't like compound bows nowadays that uh, let off once you get to a certain point, uh, you find that if it's taxing your muscles nearly to the maximum, it isn't very long until you're shaking. And then you can no longer shoot the arrow accurately. And so strength and steadiness go hand in hand. And so we need to be strong as God's people in order to set the right course. It takes the correct posture also to be steady. And that speaks of stability on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our life as archers must be founded on that foundation. It takes a stable, harmonious marriage. Otherwise, there tends to be extreme frustration that arises in the lives of the children. It means standing up and paying attention. I've never tried to shoot a bow from a prone position. I don't know if it's possible. Uh, But you need to be standing up. You can't be lazing around and be an effective archer. Uh, Eli, unfortunately, was one who was not standing up and paying attention to the needs of his sons. And we know the story there. We need steadiness and strength. I believe the two go together. I'm not going to take the time to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. I trust you're fairly familiar with it. Um, If you're not, I'd encourage you to read verses 1 through 12 uh, later today. But spiritual weakness and inconsistency will make you shaky, resulting in scattered results. Deuteronomy 6 starts with what is in your heart as a parent. It starts out, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and so on. And and a little later it says, these statutes that I give you shall be in your heart. They're not supposed to just be in your head. They need to be in your heart. Because from the heart proceed all our actions, all our responses, all our reactions, all all of those things. Our attitudes, the way we think, the way we do things, and so on. And so those commandments need to be in our heart. That's what makes us strong as God's people. It's not simply a head knowledge, but rather that things proceed from the heart that are that are in accord with the way God would have them. Spiritual weakness and inconsistency will make you shaky, resulting in scattered results. I'm going to move beyond a little material here for the sake of time. But I just point this out. You cannot be a steady archer if you have a divided heart. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, it says in the book of James. And an unstable man will not be a solid archer. And so we need to be consistent 
in our teaching. I'm going to give you a list here of ways that our teaching and our lives might be divergent from each other. And we need to remember that our children are taught much more by our example than by our verbal teaching. Um, I believe it was Brother Dennis Martin years ago, uh, preaching here sometime, said that children learn three ways. And he said, example, example, and example. And primarily, that's the case. And so, uh, as I read through these, I want you to think about that. When you shade the truth or pull a slick one on somebody, you teach your children that integrity really doesn't matter as long as you can get away with it. When you ignore the laws of the land or speak disrespectfully of church or civil authorities, you teach your children that their own opinion is superior to others and God's order isn't necessary. When you engage with the world's entertainment, you teach your children that contrary to James 4.4, you can be a friend of the world without being an enemy of God. When you talk bad about people in the church or a neighbor or a co-worker, you teach your children that love and respect for others isn't important. When you leave your children for extended periods of time for some pleasurable pursuit or make them do the unpleasant chores or in other ways convenience yourself at their expense, you teach your children that selfishness is all right. When you get involved with computer games or surfing the Internet, you teach your children that having fun is more important than redeeming the time. When you read questionable literature or tell a joke that isn't quite clean or are bold and unrestrained with those of the opposite sex, you teach your children that being pure in heart doesn't matter. When you get loud and impatient with your family, you teach your children that self-control isn't important. When you blame others or make excuses for your mistakes and failures, you teach your children to refuse to take any responsibility for their actions. And so inconsistency will hinder the flight of our arrows. And there are various ways that we can be inconsistent. Mood swings, uh, double standards, one standard for the children, different standard for mom or dad or both. Um, A public appearance, that's very different from what they see at home. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, tends to be a weakness with with men, especially uh, the man can look so good in church and they get home from church and the German shepherd comes out. Um, not the way it should be. Um, failure to deal with your own failures is another way that we can um, leave an inconsistent example. And I don't believe we should think that we can hide those from our children. Children are pretty perceptive, and they have a way of seeing through us, sometimes almost better than we do ourselves. And so we need to be honest about our failures and make them right. You know, honesty shows real strength. Being man enough to say I'm sorry wins respect. It doesn't undermine respect. Uh, Young people want someone they can believe in. And so it's important that we are consistent. Inconsistency also provokes anger, which is contrary to scriptural teaching. Improper discipline provokes anger. I believe that we need to avoid discipline in anger. You know, there are times when um, our children do get under our skin. That's a fact. But we need to have our spirit in control before we uh, try to get their spirit in control or the results 
are not good. Children will either respond in anger or retreat in fear from discipline and anger. I believe it's also important that we avoid reading the worst into our children's actions. And I'm just going to give you a homespun illustration of how this can go sometimes. This is not something that I know that happened to somebody. Um, it's just something I thought up here. But for example, imagine yourself as a dad, for example. Moms, you can ap- apply this to your daughters in some way or other too. But uh, you're, you're heading off to work for the day. Um, junior's at home home that day for whatever reason and so you give him a list of things to do he's supposed to clean his room and like a typical 12 year old boy his room uh, uh, definitely deserves a cleaning Uh, he's supposed to stack some firewood down in the basement uh, sweep the shop take out the garbage and clean the snow off the sidewalks and junior wants to be obedient he does the first four well but he just space cleaning the snow off the sidewalks. He forgot. You didn't write a list for him. Uh, He thought he could remember, and he forgot that one. And the first thing you see when you come back in the driveway that evening is the snow is still on the sidewalk. You walk into the house, and there's Junior laying on the couch reading a book. What's your response? I think you get the point without me saying more. But we can, have, we can have two responses there. We can jump him or we can check things out and then take a measured response according to what was done. You know, if you, if you go and see that his room looks remarkably clean for a 12-year-old and he's not only stacked the firewood, but he swept up the bark and stuff afterward and he swept the shop and uh, took out the trash, you can conclude pretty well, ah, he must have just forgotten to take, <clears throat> clean the snow off the sidewalk and then respond accordingly. In correction, there are several things that we need to remember. Our own weakness, the sensitivity of our child, and the nature of the offense. And then we need to respond accordingly. Then looking at the positive side of this, we've been looking at inconsistency. But integrity, integrity and consistency will maintain our children's respect, and they're vital to it. It said there, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't do the inconsistencies, but rather do this. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So let your life teach along with your words. And I have another list here that I'm going to read through of examples and ways that you can do that. When your children see you responding with kind words and deeds to all, even those who wrong you, you teach them to love. When your children see you taking adversity in stride while by God's grace maintaining a cheerful attitude, you teach them the joy of the Lord. When your children see you give a soft answer to someone who is angry, rather than responding in kind, you teach them the way of peace. When your children see you lend a helping hand to your spouse who's running behind schedule, or helping the little guy who can't find his mittens, instead of sitting in the car and leaning on the horn, you teach them to be long-suffering. When your children can sense your love by your words and your tears in the midst of administering discipline, you teach them gentleness. When your children see you being completely honest when it would be much easier to compromise the truth and doing things right when you could slip in a shortcut, you teach them goodness. When your children see you trusting God to provide for your needs 
and choosing God's way, even when other ways appear more reasonable, you teach them faith. When your children see you submit to others or take responsibility for something, even when it really wasn't your fault, you teach them meekness. When your children see you turn down that second piece of peanut butter pie, you teach them a little bit about temperance. And those, those qualities that I mentioned are the fruits of the Spirit. Those have practical outworkings in daily life. And as we let that flow out through us by the work of God in our hearts, we teach our children by example. And so you must be strong and steady to launch your arrows accurately. Another thing that an archer does is he finds the anchor point. Uh, when an archer draws his bow, he always pulls the string to a certain place on his face, corner of the mouth or, or somewhere, so that he can, has a consistent spot. They call that spot the anchor point. And it might vary a little bit from one individual to another. But when an archer does that, he habitually pulls the string to that point. Then it makes his aiming consistent, his, the sights on the bow and so on um, uh, bring consistent results. And so as God's people, we must also always find the anchor point. When situations in life come up and we need to give some kind of response to those things, there's a point that we all may, always must go to in order to have a consistent response. And that anchor point for us is the word of God. And as we recognize that the word of God reveals the will of God for every situation in life, then we can have that reference point that will bring consistency. And so our children should see us consistently and repeatedly going to the word of God for answers. Remind your family of the foundational things of life. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, later in the chapter, verses 20 to 25, the children of Israel were instructed to rehearse to their children God's working again and again. And we see, that, see those reminders throughout the Old Testament that when your children ask, for example, about the stones that were set up, that Joshua had set up there after they crossed the Jordan, when your children ask, then you tell them. Take them back to that anchor point. This is what God has done. This is what God says. This is, this is God's way for us. Take them to that anchor point so that they know where to go as well. Also, aim at the correct target. And while you're at it, go for the bullseye. Now, that's kind of uh, obvious, you know, if you're going to... Uh, Achieve what you're looking for. You're going to need to, need to aim at the correct target. But the, the reason I brought this point in is that there are so many things, so many necessary things, so many good things that we need to teach our children that we can sometimes lose sight of the most essential things. Um, we need to teach, be teaching them things about a trade or housekeeping and so on, money management, social graces, develop, help them develop their talents. All those things are good. All of those things are necessary. We must not neglect them. But that's not the primary target. That's maybe part of the bigger target, but the bullseye is that they follow the way of the Lord. And when we can set our sights on that and keep our sights on that, it will give... Um, proper dimensions to these other aspects.
And we need to remember that we can't hit the bullseye if we're not looking at it ourselves. If we've gotten sidetracked by materialism, by whatever it might be, pleasure-seeking, and, and so on, we're not going to be able to direct them in the way that they, they should go. So aim at the correct target and aim for the bullseye. And finally, it takes a smooth and gentle release. We're, we're learning that. Um, as some of our older children get married and also uh, move home to uh, leave home to serve otherwise, it's not easy for them. It's not easy for us. We all have those longings to all be back together and just... I, about five years ago, I wish we could just stop the clock right there for about ten years, and then life could go on. But we don't have that opportunity. Time moves on. It's somewhat of a relentless thing. And yet, if the arrows are going to achieve, we have to let them go. And uh, the more smooth that release is, um, the better. But you know, we can start that fairly early in life. Take the time, for example, to let your children help. Um, I remember, uh, it was back when we lived here, Joel was just a little guy. And uh, one fall I was out raking leaves. And he came along with a little rake that we had got for him. And uh, he wanted to help rake leaves too. The only complication was he wanted to rake the very same leaves I was raking. And so I had to take him and... Uh, give him a spot and say, you, you work this way and, and I'll work over here and it'll go well. You know, sometimes those we could just do things faster ourselves uh, if we just do them. But part of this aspect of release is letting our children get involved, letting them help so that they can develop those skills. Allow them to make some mistakes and learn from them. Uh, recognize and express appreciation for their abilities. Also, respect their independence at the appropriate time. And that, there's much more that could be said about those things, but we're out of time here. But um, I trust that all of these things together can be an encouragement to you and um, give you continued direction in the responsibilities that God has given you. And so, by God's grace, let us build those arrows with care, making a straight shaft, applying the proper fletching, and then send them forward on a course that is set by someone who is steady, who is strong, who is firm in the ways of the Lord. May God bless you all with wisdom as you do that. Shall we pray? Can kneel to pray? Our Father, we come to you and we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that as our Heavenly Father, we can look to you and experience your love, experience your perfection, the perfect care that you have for each of us. And we recognize in our responsibilities as parents that we in no way have attained what you are, but we pray that you would work in our hearts to bring that about, to make us more like you and then to faithfully meet the needs of our children. Bless each family here. We pray that you would bless those who are older, whose uh, children have moved on in life. We pray that you would bless them in the roles that they still fill in the larger family. And we pray for those who are in the middle age of life, that you would bless them and give them wisdom, especially in the 
teen years when children are asking a lot of questions, forming a lot of convictions. We pray that you would give them wisdom to direct them to uh, scriptural principles and to help them make good applications of those things. And for those who have young children, we pray a special blessing on them in the intensity of the times. We pray that you would give them courage each day and the, um, the strength to, to be faithful, wisdom and insight into various needs that come. And so we pray that together we may glorify you. We also pray for those who um, don't have the experience of children, that you would bless them as well. And bless them for the roles that they fill in the church and in many people's lives, the way they serve. And so we pray that you would bless each one. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.